This is the Blaze Radio On Demand. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. A licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043. Spreading freedom across the nation. This is the Buck Sexton Show. Team Buck, welcome to the Freedom Hunt. Great to have you here as always. Thank you so much for joining. Uh, we are in Freestyle Friday, which means it'll be a uh, very awesome, laid-back, relaxed, mellow, entertaining, informative show. That's just how we do things. And uh, I'm very excited to be here with you, as always. Thank you. 888-900-3393. You know, this is, I have to say this. This is breaking fake news. Or rather, breaking news from the last hour or so um, that is now fake news. You may have seen this story that up to 100,000 National Guardsmen uh, might have been called up to round up illegal immigrants. Uh, Originally, this story was reported as including millions who were nowhere near the uh, border. And already they're saying this isn't true. Already they're saying this. now we get to now we get to have the debate, the, the back and forth, the discussion over why would the AP go forward with this and possibly be so wrong. And I also wonder why. I mean, you got the Drudge Report now saying AP botch National Guard not called on illegals. How can they get this so completely and utterly wrong? I, I just want to know. I am curious how that is possible. Uh, Once again, you have a major news organization that is seemingly running with fake news. So why are we supposed to just accept this as normal, normal now? They get these things wrong, and then when we turn around and say, well, you know, you get it wrong, and once again, it should be no surprise that, assuming this is wrong, and I, I know that now, they're, of course, the journalists are going to say, their sources say it has been discussed. I don't even know what that's supposed to mean. Are, are they mobilizing 100,000 National Guard troops or not? Saying that it was discussed makes it sound like somebody 
overheard something and then went on to report it as though it was a policy decision the administration had already made. Well, that's that's not reporting. That's just page six gossip. That's just rumor mongering. That's not what these journalists are supposed to be doing. But you will notice they don't care and they and they run with it because this clearly was going to heighten tensions around the Trump administration already. This is what they are doing. This is how they view their role. This is what they are up to right now. It is a constant search for the most damaging stories and headlines possible about this administration, even if it's not true and the paper in question or the publication in question is harming its credibility by pushing the story. That's where we are. That's what is going on right now. So I, I will continue to look closely at this and uh, make sure that I keep us up to speed over the course of the show today uh, with any new updates about what's going on here. This is just crazy to me, though. One moment, it's 100,000 National Guard troops being called up. I mean, if, if that's not true, that's a pretty big whoopsie. And that the press could run through this and, and decide that they're going to uh, go with it anyway. I mean, this is the, the proposal. Let me give you some of the details. Proposal, according to the Daily Mail here, reportedly was making the rounds the Department of Homeland Security would identify 11 immigrant-heavy states and ask them to mobilize troops. And the governors would have an opt-out privilege, but the total number of National Guardsmen and women could approach 100,000. White House Press Secretary Sean Spicer says an 11-page draft seen by the Associated Press is not a White House document. Spicer says the AP report is 100% not true. It is false. It is irresponsible to be saying this. Uh, a White House aide confirms the Daily Mail that the idea has been discussed. Uh, okay, discussed by whom? In what context? Where? Who is this White House aide? Could you imagine? Who in the Trump who in the White House right now is trying to actively damage the Trump administration? That would be a, a look a, an unwise uh, thing to do, I think, for anybody who values their career and their future. And if you hate the Trump administration so much that you think that they should be stopped at any cost, you should resign from your government job. You should leave behind your government paycheck and your benefits and step out publicly and say, I will do anything to stop the Trump administration. They are evil. They are vile. It's not acceptable. It's not moral. It's not ethical to stay in a government position and lie to people and abuse their trust and betray them so that you can advance a political agenda. What we've seen this week, and this ties into the General Flynn resignation and the and the continued acrimony uh, about what the IC is telling Trump and what he's not uh, is that the bureaucracy is a problem. Trump's whole notion of draining the swamp, the idea that he needs to rein in this out-of-control government, is looking more, uh, more important and more urgent with each passing day. I would recommend to you all an excellent, and if I had seen it in time, I would have tried to get him on, um, uh, an excellent piece by Matt Continetti, uh, 
where he asked the question. And Matt Cottonetti of FreeBeacon.com. So you go to Washington FreeBeacon to, to uh, read it. The question he asks is, who rules the United States? And he says, how bureaucrats are fighting the voters for control of our country. And he's spot on here. Everything he says is absolutely spot on. You have people in the, in the, who have access to classified information who would betray their oath. You, you protect classified, protecting classified is a central core part of your job when you work in national security with the United States government. I know about this because it was a central part of my job. It's what I was doing. And I took it very seriously. And I'll be honest with you, I had moments of real anxiety and panic while I was in the CIA because even just in passing to a friend or uh, you know, to an associate, I, I maybe would say something and I think to myself, was that, that wasn't, that wasn't a problem, was it? And no, it wasn't. But that's the mentality. The mentality is you stay so far away from crossing that line that you have to be careful that you're not becoming paranoid. Paranoia for a good intelligence officer is unfortunately a normal state of mind. That's what happens to you. It's very difficult. There's a lot of anxiety, stress, and pressure that you feel when you're dealing with this information, especially when you're having to interact down on Capitol Hill and the White House and you're around other people, you know, you're dealing with uh, foreign uh, foreign allies. What can you tell them? What can you not tell them? I mean, this is the, there's a lot of, look, there's a lot of judgment calls that have to be made about this, but also there's a vigilance. And the only thing I can, I can compare it to is the, the sense of heightened um, concern for your safety that you feel in a war zone. And those of you who are former military have even more than that. You have the, the vigilance of being in combat and being deployed. But even just being in a, in a war zone where your safety is under, there's a constant underlying threat, right? Because you never know what's going to happen. Every vehicle that pulls up to you at a checkpoint, and I've, you know, I've, I was outside the wire in both Iraq and Afghanistan, every time you're up in a, in a helicopter or even fixed wing, you know, if you were to get blown out of the sky or you get blown, I mean, people, it would be a, maybe it would get some news coverage, maybe, but it, it wouldn't be out of it wouldn't be out of uh, the it wouldn't be out of the question. And so you develop this sense of constant vigilance and also and there's an anxiety, there's a tension, there's a stress that comes with that. With classified, you create this mentality of I have to protect this information all the time. I have to be incredibly careful with it. And the only way to really do that is to really have your your neurons get set up in a certain way where you become uh, almost a, you shut down. You know, the moment that somebody in D.C. would say, oh, you know, well, and I was working in the Iraq office during the height of the Iraq war. So people want to talk to me about Iraq, I just would shut the conversation down. You know, oh, you know, hey, oh, were you, where do you work? You work for the government? Oh, isn't it crazy what's going on with Iraq? I would, I would, switch to hey did you see that uh, looks like there's some great you know pigs pigs in a blanket over there that are being passed around by our lovely host why don't we go eat those i mean you just would switch the subject or just get off get off the topic right away is that being too cautious maybe but it helps you sleep at night when you're dealing with really sensitive operational material and, and platforms so it's in that i'm just giving you some of the context it's in that 
environment, that psychological context, that you have some people, and I believe that they are senior White House officials on the, under the Obama administration and senior DOJ officials who were either Obama appointees or Obama partisans, but they leaked a private phone conversation that was collected through intelligence means, not from what we know, and I, this could, I might have to amend this statement in the future because I'm not sure and I haven't seen any of, these, any of this classified. I don't know, but I'm just basing this on the press reports. Uh, not collected through a standard law enforcement investigation, which, which in and of itself would be improper, but that they would disclose possibly top secret information to harm. Remember, they, they didn't disclose it to save lives. They didn't disclose it to uh, unearth human rights abuses or horrific wrongdoing or, you know, you, you, you can make an argument. You can make an argument. doesn't mean you're with the argument. doesn't mean it's okay. And by the way, if you're going to make this argument, you should face the music too. You know, if you're going to expose classified information because in doing so, you are addressing some deeply, some, some true immorality or some ethical failing of the United States government, you should do that, and then you should be able to stand up and look your fellow citizens in the eye and say, well, this, I, I understand that this was a risk, this was a judgment call, but I will face the music. I will stand before a jury of my peers if need be, if the, if the government decides to bring charges here, because I know what I did was, was justified and moral. That's not what happened here at all. There, there's no moral or ethical argument to, uh, to make the case that this information should have been leaked from within the bureaucracy. Now, it may have been political appointees. I, I, you know, that's, this is tough. I, I'm not sure. So it really may have just been the Democrat machine operating under the cloak of national security, uh, national security apparatus. But really, this is just you know, some of former Obama officials, Obama buddies, that gave this stuff to the press. But if it was somebody from inside the civil service side of the House, if it was somebody who works... Uh, in intelligence and national security that's not a pure appointee. And there are very few, understand this, there are very few, numerically speaking, political appointees in the national security side of things. Uh, When you look at the full scope and scale of how many people work in national security for the government and how many of them are political appointees, it's it's a tiny fraction. But, of course, the most powerful people are political appointees. So... Uh, you see the possibility that the bureaucracy may have decided to weigh in in favor of the Democrat Party here because that's all. The, the, the Flint thing was just to embarrass somebody and to embarrass the Trump administration. Uh, it didn't in any way, shape, or form make us safer or better or anything else. I mean, maybe you can argue that the, the, new, the new NSA will be better than the previous NSA, but in terms of the actual act itself, it, it didn't didn't provide any material benefit to any, or any real benefit to the American people. And it, of course, humiliated a, a good man and has added to the turmoil facing the Trump administration. Uh, we're going to get into this some more, too, with the EPA in just a few minutes here. But you've got employees of the EPA who think that they're allowed to weigh in against the would-be director of the EPA. Uh, their job is to enact policy. Their job is not to make policy. And honestly, if if they don't want to work for Scott Pruitt at the EPA, 
They should just get the heck out, resign, leave, find it, find another job. That's just the truth. You know, I, look, I, I, I resigned from the CIA under the Obama administration. I came up to New York and took refuge in New York City from, from Langley and, and all that was going on in D.C. And a part of my calculation was, look, I, I, I'm not going to I would do I did the best that I could. Uh, for the Obama administration to provide the best analysis I could when I was working the CIA during that. But I'm allowed to decide, you know what, I, I just, I don't want my job to be serving this president. I'm going to leave. That's ethical. You don't want to do it? You don't want to serve? You leave. What would not have been ethical would have been for me as a CIA employee to try to find information about the Obama administration that would embarrass it that I learned through classified means and to release that publicly to undermine the administration's policy. I'm an executive branch employee. No, I left and I became a critic of Obama and the media. All these people who work for the EPA or inside the intel community still, if they hate Trump so much, they need to man up, resign, and address the public, put a name and a face behind all this stuff, and address the public with their concerns so that they can be evaluated by the American people and we can act upon it. That's, that's the ethical thing to do. What we are seeing right now is subterfuge. It is subversion. It's unethical. It's immoral. And it shows us just how thoroughly rotted the government bureaucracy, the federal bureaucracy, has really become. It's a scandal. And I'm glad that the administration has made this, has brought this to light, has made this more visible for all of us. All right, 888-900-3393, team. We've got a lot more. I'll be right back. Buck Sexton on the Blaze Radio Network. a lot going on right now because you have a an executive order next week on immigration that looks like it's going to be coming out which um, here is an opportunity uh, for the Trump administration to address some of the concerns that were laid out by the judge and uh, by the judge well the judge is really first there was the Robart order out in Wisconsin but I'm sorry that uh, if you hear if it sounds like I'm a little um, uh, a little subdued today. It's just my my voice is uh, is being tested every day with the five hours of radio, and right now it's a little uh, a little tenuous. So I want to make sure I can get through the show tonight as well. So I, I can't give you quite the projection and uh, vocalizations that I usually would because that strains the vocal cords, and uh, I I don't want to be on. Uh, whisper whisper patrol on radio for three hours tonight. So apologies for that. I should be. Uh, back 100% again on Monday, but it's, I don't, I don't know how, you know, I guess I, I, somebody told me that meatloaf, the singer, as opposed to the food, which is a very, by the way, meatloaf can, my mother used to make delicious meatloaf. Meatloaf can be really good. I think that it's a much maligned entree, uh, just because people overcook it and let it get too dry. But my mother used to make great meatloaf. Uh, like really, you know, a little melted cheddar in it. It was really good. I remember it very fondly. 
But Meatloaf the singer, uh, as I understand it, would take... Uh, this was just told to me recently when I was talking to a producer friend at Fox, uh, that he would not speak for two days before a concert. He would write on a pad, even to his wife. No, no voice for two days. Now, I don't know, does Meatloaf, uh, you know, would he do anything for love? You know what I mean? Um, but that's, you know, your, your voice, like a lot of other things, can get strained out. So that's why, uh, or can get strained. That's why I am not able to uh, be quite as animated as I usually would be today. And I know it's a Freestyle Friday, so I'd love to be, like, all fired up with you guys. But tonight I, I, will, I, will, I will kick it up a notch. Bam! Like, like Emerald. Uh, so you can play, you can bet on that. And we've got some great guests tonight. And by the way, those of you who can't find me on your local station, AmericanHourRadio.com, starting at 6 Eastern till 9. Just go there, go to that website and click Live Listen. And uh, we've got some fun stuff coming up for the podcast there too. All right, team, back in just a few. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Our team, we're very fortunate to be joined now by Kim Strassel. She is the author of The Intimidation Game, How the Left is Silencing Free Speech. It's a great book. You should go pick it up on Amazon.com right now. And she's also a columnist at The Wall Street Journal and a member of the journal's editorial board. Kim, great to have you. Thanks for calling in. Hi, Buck. How are you? I'm all right, thank you. You know, rocking and rolling on a Friday here. So we've got two excellent pieces of yours in the journal, both of which are dealing with primary policy issues facing the Trump administration right now. Uh, First, let's start with don't wimp out on climate. If Trump doesn't dump the Paris Accord, his economic agenda is in jeopardy. Where where does the whole climate fight in the with the administration stand right now? And what are some of the issues you address in the column? This is what's alarming, and it's why I wrote it, because you'll remember that Trump was very vocal and adamant when he was on the campaign trail that one of the first things that he was going to do was uh, remove the United States from the Paris Climate Accords and also stop sending money to various United Nations uh, green climate funds as well, too. Uh, I'm now hearing that there is a growing contingency within the White House is pushing instead to, to not withdraw from Paris, saying that that would be too big of an upheaval, cause too much international blowback. Uh, and you also had some alarming comments come from Rex Tillerson when he was at his hearing to become Secretary of State, in which he said, I think it's very important that the United States keep a seat at the table. Uh, so the column was an attempt to talk about what a very bad idea indeed it would be to just let Paris continue on. And what would be some of the what would be some of the negative effects of it? I mean, if we go if we decide or the Trump administration, I should say, doesn't uh, stand firm on this one, this would really affect not just the energy sector, but the economy overall. Well, here's the thing that I think people are confused about. There's been a lot of talk about the fact that these were, quote, non-binding commitments that we made. And that's been one of the arguments by those saying, just let it be, don't risk the blowback, because we're not required to these commitments anyway. 
The problem with that reasoning is that if you look out right now at the, quote, resistance and everybody who is uh, pushing against Trump, one of their main new tools are lawsuits. And there have been attempts in the past and plenty of thought among environmental groups about filing lawsuits and getting courts to agree that pieces of paper that we sign, even if they weren't ratified by the Senate, should in fact be held binding on the country. And I can guarantee that a lawsuit like that will get fined, uh, submitted if Trump doesn't remove us from the Paris Climate Accords. And at that point, we will have major trouble for a lot of reasons. I mean, as it is, even if we were to enact the entire Obama climate agenda, we'd still be about 45% short of what we committed to do at Paris. Uh, If President Trump moves ahead to get rid of that climate agenda, which he said he would, we're going to be about 70% short. So imagine if the Supreme Court suddenly comes out and says, you must follow through on these commitments uh, to, to Paris. What would that do to the economy? I also think it would leave in place uh, a framework that if the Democrats, let's say, in two years, the midterms have a a surprisingly strong showing or even for the next presidency, if it turns out to be a Democrat, which could be in four years, uh, then you would you'd have this agreement. And so to to leave it in place, I I don't think I don't think the argument that it's completely innocuous uh, holds much water based on what we've seen from the environmental left in the past and and present. That is an excellent point. And remember, too, we're dealing with courts that, uh, for instance, a lot of um, Clean Air Act lawsuits and other things having to do with the environment are held in the D.C. Circuit Court of Appeals. That's the court that Harry Reid made sure he packed with liberals before he left office. Um, We've got a Supreme Court where One of the reasons we're even having this discussion about carbon is because back uh, in the 2000s, you had uh, Justice Anthony Kennedy join with all the liberals of the court to to declare CO2 a pollutant. Um, And this is a guy who also is quite interested in taking his guidance from international law. So I don't think that there's any guarantee that if a lawsuit was filed, that they might not get some joy out of that and and succeed in forcing the United States to accede to these commitments. I think there's also a symbolic point here as well, too. Paris was the ultimate example of the president operating outside of Congress and the law, uh, pushing us into an international accord without having bothered to pass a law on climate legislation here in the country um, or, or following the will of the people, which generally don't want that. So it would also just be a strong message to say we're not going to go along with that kind of unaccountable bureaucratic regime. And the EPA right now, there's some interesting tumult going on. Uh, you have people who are career employees, supposedly civil servants, that are reportedly reaching out to their senators and making a lot of noise and perhaps even preparing for a bit of uh, in, intra, intramural resistance against uh, a Pruitt EPA chief. What can you tell us about what's going on there? So this is an incredible break with decorum to have uh, EPA employees actively lobbying their senators to vote no on a new EPA head. But it doesn't surprise me. There has been such hysteria over the Scott Pruitt nomination that people have completely lost their wigs. I mean, the reality is, is that 
I mean, first of all, this is a very dangerous prospect. There are 15,000 EPA employees, and I would wager that about 14,995 of them oppose Scott Pruitt as the head of the EPA and oppose a, an agenda that does not look like one that the Obama administration has. Um, and EPA employees have a lot of ability to sabotage within. If you can go back and remember Ronald Reagan's uh, first appointee to the EPA, Ann Gorsuch, who actually happens to have been the mother of the, the current Supreme Court nominee, uh, she was run out within about two years, in part because of resistance from EPA employees. So, so they have the ability to do a lot of damage. I think they'll be surprised, though, maybe when Scott Pruitt gets there. Um, in fact, everyone should go to the Wall Street Journal later tonight. Uh, we have the first big interview with him. Uh, he's set to get confirmed today. Um, and, you know, he's got a lot of really interesting plans for the agency that might surprise them. Right. I mean, they're operating under the assumption that he's going to show up and basically say, everybody clear out. You know, we're going to put uh, we're going to put charges on the foundation and, and, and turn this whole thing into rubble. I mean, that's from what I understand, that's their objection. They really believe that, except well, for the explosive part. But you know what I mean? They, they, yeah. He's going to destroy the agency. I mean, that doesn't make any logical sense. Look at Scott Pruitt. What do we know about Scott Pruitt? This is a guy who, yes, he sued the EPA 14 times. But did he do it because he hates the environment? No, because every one of these lawsuits was making the argument that the EPA had exceeded its statutory legal uh, rights to, to go and do what they were doing, whether it was the waters of the United States rule, whether it was their climate plan, that they didn't have the authority under the law to do this. So what we know is that he is a law and order kind of guy. Well, here's the reality. We do have laws on the books, Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act, that do charge the EPA with enforcing that uh, and, and making sure that we, we do have an improving environment. And as a law and order guy, I would bet very highly that Scott Pruitt respects that. And in fact, we'll see that as his top job at the agency. I think this goes to the hysteria on the left around uh, around environmental uh, environmental protection in general, they always conflate disputes over climate change, response to climate change, uh, what the cost benefit analysis of that may be, uh, depending also on how much of a how urgent of an issue one may find it to be. There's also the well, what do we do about it? That that's an ongoing discussion. They always seem to then also think that because there's uh, a divergence between Republicans and Democrats on that issue, and, and the right and the left more generally that we don't care if people are dumping toxic waste in the rivers. You even have people like Bill Maher out in, out in uh, L.A. saying this on his show. You know, now they're dumping toxic waste into rivers, or that's, that's going to be okay. In fact, nobody's okay with that. There, there's no pro-poison me and, and have poison water constituency, <laughs> but the Democrats do, uh, or a contingent of the Democrats, do seem to believe this or at least say it. Well, yes, there is this conflation of the idea that if you don't believe that the climate is changing and the earth is in peril uh, and that you need to stop everything and, and grind the economy to a halt to do something about that, then you are anti-environment, which, of course, is nonsense. And I would point out that in terms of, of pouring toxic sludge into river, there's only one agency in the country that's actually managed to do that over the last couple of years, and it was the EPA. Um, so, you know, we've got some... <laughs> yeah bureaucratic mismanagement that needs to be dealt with as well, too. But I mean, th there's a reality here, and this is why what you just said is so corrosive. You go out and you talk to an average American. Imagine 
talking to a, a person out in Washington State that's living near Hanford, Washington, which is a site of one of the largest and ugliest Superfund sites, the Hanford Nuclear Waste, and that has been on the Superfund list for, I think, now close to 25 years. You ask them, which would you prefer that the EPA devoted all of its resources to, cleaning that up or inventing some more models on climate change? Yeah, there are real issues that the EPA handles and that there's bipartisan support for the EPA on this. But because climate change is, I believe, not to put any words in your mouth, Kim, it is effectively a religious belief for people who think they're too smart for religion. Uh, it, it overshadows everything else that becomes that the EPA is really just an institution uh, that is supposed to address climate change as its primary mission, as, as the number one mission. That's where there's the divergence. You know, no one says, oh, Flynn has uh, has poisoned uh, Flint rather has has poisoned drinking water. Uh, that's not something that we should care about or pay attention to. Th- nobody says that <laughs> there seems to be this bizarre uh uh, suggestion or or even statement that's made by many on the left, including politicians and people with real platforms, that the Republicans just want to get rid of the EPA entirely. And, and I just think it's it's counterproductive. We all agree we don't want uh, poison in our water and, and air that chokes us when we when we walk outside. Nobody wants that. No, and we all have to remember that the EPA hasn't done has in fact when it's been focused on its core mission done good things. We've had remarkable environmental progress over the last 30 years. And that is in part, we all need to remember, to th- uh, things like the Clean Water Act, the Clean Air Act. It's also, we need to bear in mind, because this gets forgotten, uh, largely due to the actions that states themselves have taken in absence of the EPA or in cooperation with the EPA or in cooperation with each other. The cleaning up efforts in the Chesapeake Bay, that was a state-driven initiative. Uh, the efforts recently to uh, deal with the habitat for the lesser prairie chicken and, in fact, keep it off the endangered species list, that was a state-driven effort as well, too. So, you know, I think I'd be even more cynical than you in some ways on, on the global warming and and uh, religion idea behind this in that not everyone but the kind of true believers in this, the reason they focus on this issue is is not necessarily because they believe the world's going to end tomorrow, but because they understand that if you can make the climate argument, you can implement a huge number of other aspects of their political agenda. Because yeah, you know, the government can do anything, over the it's it, and it's trying to save the world. Yeah, you know, you can justify anything in the name of dealing with climate, and you you do what the Obama administration did, which was turn the EPA into a, a supercharged and national super regulator that suddenly was able to tell you what kind of chainsaw you could buy and, and what kind of car you could drive and what kind of electricity you could get and how you make different products. I mean, it, it, it could get its hands on everything because energy is involved in everything. Kim, two things. One, I have to look up the Lesser Prairie Chicken. I'd never even heard of that before. So, oh, is that what that was? You story said? Buck. <laughs> oh, I got to check this out about the Lesser Prairie Chicken. I didn't even know that was a thing. So, thank you for giving me some Google homework. And also, can you come back uh, on on one of the shows? Maybe next week, the night show. I want to talk to you about healthcare and your column on it. But we're we're running we're running out of time here. Is that cool? Yeah, you bet. Very cool. You have fantastic. A good rest Kim Strassel, everybody, check out check out her book, The Intimidation Game. Go to Amazon.com, just type in the Intimidation Game, it'll pop up. And also, Wall Street Journal columnist Kim Strassel. Thank you so much, Kim. Good to talk to you. You too. Bye-bye. All right, everybody. On the flip side of the break, I'll be right back. You're listening to The Buck Sexton Show.
on the Blaze Radio Network. The offer of a... Don't miss the Chris Salcedo Show. Finally, the United States has a pro-Israel government. That has Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu smiling from ear to ear. What this means for the United States and the only functioning democracy in the Middle East. And if you think about it, BB and Trump have a lot on their plate. I think the first order of business would be to undo Barack Obama's stabbing of Israel in the back in the United Nations. The Chris Salcedo Show, weekdays at 2 p.m. Eastern on the Blaze Radio Network. The Buck Sexton Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, team, uh, I got to tell you, this is this is a pretty, uh, pretty astonishing. I'm, I'm just seeing this now, um, on the side of uh, on the side of uh, everything has to be political now all the time. A this is from the New York Post. A liberal mom click forces school to cancel skating party at Trump rink. Let me read you a little bit from this New York Post piece here. An elite Upper Upper East Side private school's annual ice skating party at Trump Wallman Rink in Central Park had to be canceled after parents refused to send their kids in protest of the president. The Parents Association at the Dalton School, uh, I know, I knew people who went to the Dalton School um, for the first grade, I mean, for for lower school, which is... um, Kindergarten, first grade, second grade, third grade, I think is how they break it down. Uh, Dalton is $50,000 a year. Let me just repeat that for you. Your kid is eight or nine years old. You're paying $50,000 a year to send them to school. So just start with that. But the Parents Association at the Dalton School sent a letter Thursday announcing the Dalton on Ice event was scrapped, saying it would not be financially prudent because of significantly lower attendance. Uh, But the low attendance was due to rampant anti-Trump sentiment at the elite prep school, which boasts alumni such as CNN's Anderson Cooper. Oh, not surprising. Um, I think it's completely insane, one Dalton parent who disagrees with the protest said. Like him or not, it feels like a strange place for New Yorkers to protest. And sad that kids now have no skating party. Yeah, that's right. You can't even have a skating party at a rink with the Trump name on it because that's this is really going to show Trump something. It just means that kids can't go ice skating because their parents are progressive, self-righteous lunatics who know nothing about politics and just want to lecture everybody all the time. All right, Team Buck, Hour 2 coming up. The Buck Sexton Show. Only on the Blaze Radio Network. Any home or business can quickly become infested with mold with the introduction of a water source like a roof or plumbing leak. When your home, your belongings, or your business becomes damaged, it's not just about cleaning up the mess, it's about reclaiming your life. And that's why you need to call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline, a licensed, fully insured, affordable, non-invasive solution to solving any water and mold problems. Our team of trained specialists are available with 24-7 emergency service. We will quickly evaluate your problem and give you a plan that will guarantee results. 
Water causes damage and mold can spread throughout your property in as little as 48 to 72 hours and can produce allergens and irritants that have the potential to cause serious health hazards. So don't waste time. Give us a call now. For any water or mold problems, call the Water and Mold Removal Hotline. Call 800-442-7043 today for a free estimate. That's 800-442-7043. 800-442-7043.